0: You are listening to Made for Mutuality. In this podcast, we take a deeper look into the scriptures to help us understand the principles and truths regarding women and men working together as partners, both in the church and in the home. Thank you and enjoy. This is our second lesson in the Mutuality series, Jesus Walks with Women. You know, For those of us that are Jesus followers, it really is all about Him, and I'm so glad to be talking about Him today. You know, He came to earth to show us who God is. I mean, He gave up so much in coming to earth to be human, to be tempted in every way, yet without sin. I mean, to subject Himself to all of that so that He could truly relate and and really become the sacrifice for us. Um, is really amazing. But to be able to see who God is through Jesus is such a powerful thing. You know, how did he treat women? What did he teach that specifically may be applied to women? I think that there's no way we could cover all of this today. And yet, I want us to, to begin in Luke chapter 8 and get a picture. You know, for years, I have taught the bible. I mean decades. I've been a disciple for decades. And I had read this scripture many times and even noticed that women traveled with Jesus. But back several years ago, I read it and it really changed the picture that I got of when of Jesus and him walking around from town to town healing and teaching and I'd like for us to read it to get started. In Luke chapter 8, in verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women, who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now, like I said, I'd read this many times, but all of a sudden, as I read this, that that time, it's like a light bulb went on. And I was like, many other women traveling with him and I started looking into the scriptures about that and just through the Gospels and when the women were listed and and sort of when it said disciples because in my mind as I had taught all these years read and taught and thought about Jesus I pictured Jesus and a bunch of guys kind of walking around together and I realized my my picture was off that's not actually what happened I don't know. I've been told that it's only maybe four or five times, maybe there's a few more, uh, that Jesus was specifically, the scriptures state that he was alone with just men. And I think that that's so interesting. Because as I read through, you can see that as Jesus and the disciples went here, as the disciples arrived, Jesus said this, or and, and it just changed my picture of what was going on. You know, the truth is, in, in the cultural setting, historians have told us that typically a family uh, would travel, you know, yearly. A Jewish family like Jesus's would travel from uh, wherever they were from into Jerusalem at least once a year, and they would usually go with the larger family, you know, the extended family and and people from the village that they were a part of, and it would almost be like a yearly holiday or vacation. And they would, you know, get all their supplies together. They, a few of them might have donkeys or whatever, and they would, they would walk. And as they walked, they would talk and they would laugh and and just have a good time. And then they would stop before dinner time, and they would set up camp. And they would build a campfire and have singing and and stories and and that it was something that the families loved and looked forward to now we don't know for sure if jesus family did this but it would have been a very normal thing for them to have done and i know that every family for sure didn't make it every year or that, you know, so I, I just know that but when you look at the history and the culture, this idea of traveling around kind of family style, it, it makes sense. And you know, even that story about Jesus when he was twelve that he was lost there for a few days it explains that. You know, that um, they didn't even know where he was because he was in this big crowd. And they figured probably he was off with the crowd that was his age. And they were, you know, they were together. So my point is... As I restudied this and rethought it, I actually went down that rabbit hole and I studied some things about, you know, the uh, people have tried to count like how many miles Jesus walked based on what we do know in scriptures. And and, uh, it might be interesting for some of you, I don't know. But it definitely gave me a different picture of Jesus traveling around. He had three years, right? I mean, of a ministry, he had three-year ministry where he was trying to teach people about who God is and what the church that was coming, what it was supposed to look like and be like. And that would have been really hard to do with just him and a bunch of guys because the church would never be like that. It would be families, it would be women and men, young and old, and you know when you see Jesus. Uh, in in the Gospels, and you read the different people that traveled with him, I mean, it was zealots and tax tax collectors. It was young and old. It was rich and poor. I mean, there was a variety of people that would be more like a family. Um, And so that gave me a different picture. And, you know, and as I thought, as we go through this, one of the things that I see is how Jesus valued women, how he empowered women in different ways. And in his encounters, you know, he elevated women and he entrusted them with doing important things and he befriended them. And um, I know that one of the things that as we go through and that I've noticed is that he didn't condescend to them. He didn't coddle them. He never treated women that I can tell like they were really fragile and he needed to kind of be careful, more careful with them than with men. And he never separated the teaching either. He never said, well, you know, now for the women, this is what we're gonna teach, and for the men, this is what we're gonna teach. And, and, um, and that's really remarkable, to be honest, during that day and time, because women, their role in life was delegated to the home, their value was found in being a wife and a mother, their identity was all about the man they were attached to, whether it was the father, their father, their husband, or if their father and, and husband weren't around, their older brother or an uncle, and then eventually in their life, their sons. And their value was very much tied in if, if they had a son or didn't. And so th- this was just an unusual thing if you look at it from a historical point of view to realize that Jesus never had special teachings for women. But instead, all those, come and follow me, love me more than your mother, father, sister, brother, wife, children. I mean, it, the, all of his teachings that they actually applied to men and women and that he never made a distinction and in his his encounters with women you see that so i think that this is really really good to to note before we really get more into this study also i know i've had people say well what about the 12 though jesus when he was walking the earth he only picked men what does that say you know To me, what that says is that he only picked Jewish men. He didn't pick Gentile men or women. And so I think we have to figure out what that was about. And I'm not going to go into that today, but in Matthew 19, verse 28, you might want to study and look at that. Um, Evidently, the 12 were to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. And so something else, I think, was going on with that. But anyway, I'd like for us to look at Jesus with women. In Luke chapter 11, let's begin there, verses 27 through 28. And Jesus is, um, is teaching, and this woman yells out, Blessed is the womb that carried you and the breast that nursed you. Now, so he's just going along or whatever and this woman yells this out and he could have just ignored it or he could have just said thank you. Now the reason I say that is that's a compliment. That was a real compliment. It was almost like saying your mom must be so proud of you. She's so lucky to have given birth to you. It was just a compliment of their day. But instead of just letting it ride or or just saying thank you, Jesus took that opportunity. And you watch him. As you read the Gospels, you watch him take opportunities to teach something that's really important. And so he takes that opportunity and he says, on the contrary, in other words, no, no. You are blessed are those that hear the word of God and obey it. So on the contrary, blessed are those that hear the word of God and obey it. In other words, no, um, that's not where your value comes from. You are not reduced to anatomy, body parts, which very often that is how women, their value was stated, and it was like him taking a moment to say, No, you have the same value as men, and it comes from the same thing you taking hold, listening to God's word, and being willing to follow it. You know, that was really radical, that was really countercultural, that was very different back then. You know, it shows that Jesus was willing to kind of break into those things that were considered norms. And he wasn't going to be bound by those. Back then in the culture, the women were not uh, valid eyewitnesses. Like in a court of law, that women and children were not considered um, a valid eyewitness. And they were not to be taught to read. They were absolutely not to, uh, you know, to uh, speak out like in public, and men weren't even supposed to speak to women in public, not even their own wives, really, like it was frowned upon, and so the culture was just very different. And one of the things that was taught that that was um, said back then um, was, "Let the law be burned rather than committed to a woman," and that was soda. 3, 4, and 19a. So that was even one of the, the, the teachers, you know, that's how they felt. And then in the Talmud, it said, He who teaches his daughter the law is as though he has taught her to sin. See, people were, in know, the reason people believed you would teach someone back then is so they would learn and they would teach others. That's what being taught was about. It was you were then entrusted with knowledge that you are then supposed to teach someone else. And so they were not they were just not given this in that in that culture back then. So I think that those are things to keep in mind as we go. In Luke chapter ten and verse thirty four through forty two I love this story, but I was always a little confused by it at different points because I couldn't, I didn't know the Martha and the Mary world, the Mary and the Martha world. I wasn't sure about all of that. I never did get that all straightened out. But what I know is that what's important is to look at Jesus' response to what's happening. Now, Martha, who seems to be the older sister because the house is said to be hers, She's in she's in the kitchen making preparations. So it looks like maybe it's cooking and cleaning or setting up or whatever. So she's doing what would be sort of stereotypically the woman's job in that culture at that time. And she gets upset, right? She gets upset it seems like almost with Jesus, you know, and she's, you know, she says, uh, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And so I think that we know that Martha is full of faith and, uh, really believed in Jesus. And that's clear throughout her story. But at this point, there's something going on that's really bothering her. And it might be that she did want some help, but it might be that it was a bit more than that. Because look at at how Jesus responds to her. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Some versions say one thing matters. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. She has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. So Jesus has this very strong reaction to Mary's request. And I want us to look at what happened. If you go up a little bit, like I said, verse 38 through 42 is the passage we're looking at. But in 39, it said, she said uh, she had her sister, Her sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. So, Martha's in the kitchen, doing what maybe she considered more appropriate work. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, one of the things we do know is that that was a term that was well known at that time, sitting at the feet of a rabbi and what that meant. We know uh, that the Apostle Paul, called Saul, you know, he was sat at the feet of Gamaliel. And we know what that means. Sat at the feet of Gamaliel means that Gamaliel was training him in, in the ways of God. And when we look at this with Mary, very often we overlook what's actually happening. Mary has taken a place sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says she has chosen what is needed. Or there's only one thing needed. Only one thing matters. And then some versions even say Mary has chosen what is better. Others say Mary has chosen what is important. So she's chosen what's important. And it will not be taken from her. So... I think that Jesus has taken a stand here. It's pretty obvious. And he's really emphatic that it will not be taken from her. Even though in their culture, it was not looked upon with any goodness, No, nothing good could come out of a woman learning to read, a woman learning the law. A learning a, a woman having this knowledge, and that Jesus was very strong in what he thought. And you know what I see in that is he he wanted um, each of them to use their gifts, maybe. you know? Martha was doing things that needed to be done, and that was all right. but Mary was doing what she knew she needed to do and that had to be all right too. What I learned here is that Jesus didn't have gender stereotypes. He didn't think well, this was for a woman and then this other thing was for a man. He didn't stereotype that way. He didn't have a double standard. He had the same teachings for men and women. His view of women is really empowering. It's amazing. This this is encouraging. He does and that he did not value social norms over people. And I think that that's important too that we not get caught up in the culture of our time and that we let cultural norms, even religious cultural norms or norms within certain groups to dictate to us. Instead, we want to listen to Jesus and and really understand the world from the way he did and what he came to teach us about God. In John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, we're all familiar with her and I know she's one of all many of our favorites. And, um, you know, there's so many things about this story. We're not going to read it for time's sake, but I would encourage you to read this story again and to realize that we have misunderstood many, many things. She was very misunderstood that during that day and time, women could not initiate a divorce in their culture maybe if she was extremely extremely wealthy she might be able to talk a priest a priest listen to me a, a, a priest yes or or a rabbi to to go on her behalf and initiate a, a divorce so anyway that that her situation having had five husbands and the one she now had There's definitely more to that story. And so there was a lot of pain. Either she had been widowed over and over. I mean, after all, if you look at the the Jewish laws, um, and and many of the laws of that day that the first brother that marries you, if he dies, you go to the second brother. And if something happens to him, you go to the third brother. It could have been that situation. It, it could have been that she was put away. People back then, there was a lot of divorce It was rampant, and people back then were we're were getting divorces for all kinds of reasons, but only the men. So the men could not be happy with this, you know, with uh, the cooking or something she does or doesn't do. And, or it could even have to do with inheritance. It would be better for his, uh, his, his land, his value, his monetary value to get rid of this wife, put her away and take another. So, We don't know, but we also know that she ended up with someone that was not her husband. That doesn't mean it was necessary adultery. She may, she had to be under some rule of man, some household of man normally. So she may have been a handmaiden in a household. She may have been, you know, taken in by, by an older man with several wives. And she was, she was just going to be sort of a handmaiden and a servant. She obviously wasn't from a wealthy home and she was the one running it as the the main wife because she was the one going out to carry water, maybe. I mean, we don't know a lot of this, but what I know is it's not what we thought it was. We're sure of that. And so as you go through this, I would love to encourage you to notice a few things. One, it says early on that Jesus said he had to go through Samaria. Why? Most Jews went around. Maybe he knew that there was someone seeking him, seeking truth, and it was her. Because when he engaged and started talking to her, boy, was she very spiritual and spiritually minded. He could have sent for a man. Once he met her at the well and talked with her a moment, he could have sent her to go, to please, go get him a man from the village so that he could te- have a deep spiritual conversation with a man. But he didn't. He had the conversation with her, which back then was bizarre, not just for him to be talking to a woman, even though that's clear as you read the story, because the apostles came back and they were surprised he was talking to a woman. But the fact that he's talking to her about deep spiritual things deep theology, living water. I mean, look at that. It was really something. And then he entrusted her to go back and tell the whole village about him. You know, it's the longest recorded conversation that Jesus ever has with anyone. Now, it may not have been as long as conversation. We don't know. But I of scripture, it's the longest recorded conversation, and it was with a woman, this woman, a Samaritan woman. I think he surprised her tremendously that he would talk with her and spend this time with her. You know, Jesus told this woman that he was the Messiah, and it's the first time in the scriptures that we see chronologically that he revealed that information. He told her he was a messiah, the messiah. So anyway, I think that it's something worth looking into, and I would encourage you to do that. And notice how he empowered her. He, let, he sent her off to go tell everyone, and then she brought the whole village back. And notice that they listened to her. If she was a woman that had been discredited and nobody thought highly of her, they wouldn't have listened to her, most likely, but the whole town listened and she was able to tell them that she had found the one, the Messiah. But anyway, let's move on to uh, Mary of Bethany. It's the same Mary that was sitting at the feet of Jesus, okay? So there's another later account of Mary. And uh, so she has taken her seat, at, you know, at the foot of Jesus. In the meantime, her brother um, has died, and there was a lot of disappointment and anguish over that, and I think that she has learned a lot about faith, a lot about Jesus, and honestly, a, a lot about trusting Jesus, and knowing that things won't always work out exactly like she thinks they will, but that Jesus always is right on time and trustworthy. So, for whatever, in Mark 14, uh, verses 1 through 9, you might want to turn there as we study. This isn't the only account of this happening, but it's when Mary um, anointed Jesus. And so, I wanted to look at that in Mark 14. And and I'm not gonna read the whole thing. You remember that it was uh, not long before the crucifixion. Okay, so the crucifixion is fastly coming, and Jesus had been at different times trying to warn the people that traveled with him, the people he was close to uh, in his life, uh, the physically close to. He had been warning them that he was going to go to Jerusalem, and he was going to die and, and be raised, but you know, they were in denial, they were very much it seems as you read that a lot of the people were in denial about this but not mary mary somehow got it she saw it and she did something very bold very brave and very loving they're having dinner and they're they're out in bethany and jesus is reclining at a table and you know he and it says that she comes up and she opens this alabaster jar of perfume and she anoints him with it. And different uh, accounts of it say it different ways that she anointed his feet and his head, and some say different. So, but she anointed him with this oil. And the way I imagined it, or this perfume. And, but this was the perfume. Most likely, that was used the historically for uh, kind of bo- like getting you ready for burial. This is like an embalming, maybe not really, you know, but our version, their version of something like that. The smell, and so I would imagine that smell sort of went out through the through the dinner party there. That we don't know that for sure, but but as as she's doing this, the the people come over to her and they're angry in fact they rebuke rebuke her harshly it says and they they're mad at her for using this wasting this expensive oil and and all this kind of stuff and so Jesus though His reaction, once again, is what we want to see. Very often, I've learned that I miss the point if I don't look for Jesus in it, like his reaction to things. He took this opportunity to say this. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always, you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, "She, leave her alone. What she's doing is, is wonderful. It's beautiful thing. He tries to put it in context for them. Because it's almost like they didn't ex- understand what was happening. But she got it. She was preparing him for burial. She was accepting. This is where he's headed. And he says that it was such an important thing that she had done that every time the gospel was preached throughout the entire world, this story would be told. And you know, sometimes as I've studied this, I've realized sometimes we don't really listen to Jesus I think the gospel has been preached probably many, many times and places where this story has been left out. Jesus intended for this to be an important event and always be told. Because to him, see, it was that kind of value. He was facing this horrible torturing and death and having to be separated from his Father on the cross, bearing the sin of the world. And there was somebody that did something brave and beautiful for him and to help all of them. And yet we have very often just overlooked it. So let's not do that anymore. Let's remember that we want to really really listen to Jesus hold up these women that did amazing things but also it's not about them the story's about him what he valued what mattered to him what he said was important so let's do his let's tell his story his way you know the most important event in all of history the history of the world is the death burial and resurrection as a disciple we really do believe that you know we believe that this is the most important event in all of history and yet i want to leave you with just the challenge to study that study the death burial, and resurrection Look at each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and read them and notice what really is going on. That women were the one that, ones that were the eyewitnesses of the death. Now, John was at the cross, but it was the women Some of the accounts in different places say the women were standing up at, you know, at the cross talking to Jesus, like uh, the the situation with John and Mary, his mother. And then at, at another time, it'll say the women were standing at a distance watching. And I'm imagining that, you know, this was a very long process. So the women maybe were were moved out of the way at times. Who knows? And some people have said, you know, maybe it was more dangerous for the men is the reason they weren't there, and that's very possible. I'm not saying anything about it like maybe they were cowards. I don't know. But what I do know is they were they they really were um, crucifying women as well as men back then. So I'm not sure, but maybe it was just the men that were in real danger at this time in this situation. But whatever it is, those women stood there. They stayed with him and they watched him die. That was gruesome. I mean, to watch that kind of situation, to stick with it, to be in it with him, to stay with him until the last breath and right at the end. You know, his mom stayed. And that makes sense. I mean, moms are like that, right? But, they, but she wasn't the only one. The other women stayed, too. And they, they, they just watched. I'm not sure they understood it any better than anybody. But I know that it says the women were there. So they were really eyewitnesses of the actual dying of Jesus, you know? And then you look at the burial I mean, the the scriptures are really clear about this, that the women stuck with the body. They stayed with Jesus' dead body. And they accompanied him to the tomb and those that took him there. And then they sat. It says specifically, they sat across from the tomb and they watched his body being laid. They watched that burial. And then they had to leave. They had to honor the Sabbath as was the law, and so they left, and they went to honor the Sabbath, and then they came back early, early, uh, the morning after the Sabbath, so that they could anoint the body with oil, and they brought all this perfume and oil with them, and to get it ready for burial, but you know, when they got there, oh my goodness, the body was gone, and so they ran and told the others that the body was gone and then remember john and peter go running back to the to the empty tomb and and they get there and they see that it's gone and everybody's so distressed and unhappy who's taken the body and there's you know just a lot of anguish in that situation and then peter and john leave The men leave to go maybe talk to the others about it or inquire about what happened. But what we know is Jesus waited until Peter and John left in order to appear to them. So Jesus chose who his eyewitnesses of the resurrection would be. And eventually he appeared to many people so that they would be true eyewitnesses of the resurrection. That his chosen first eyewitnesses were the women Mary, Magdalene, and the others. He appeared to them and let them know that he had raised from the dead. Now, Jesus never did things by accident. I don't believe there were coincidences in Jesus' life. He was very intentional about everything. And also, I just don't think that this this, this couldn't have been an accident. I, I believe this couldn't have been an accident. And I know that it's very clear that they were his choice. It it was very clear that he was that they were his choice, that the women were who he chose to be his first eyewitnesses. Maybe he needed that comfort. Maybe you know um, Mary Magdalene had fought, had been demon possessed, and had been through so much with darkness. Maybe that would offer comfort to him. But maybe it was just he wanted to to meet with them first, and then he commissioned them to go proclaim the resurrection. And they were the first ones to ever be able to say, Jesus has risen from the dead. And they were commissioned by Jesus to do that. He told them to go tell the others. I think that 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 is not something that is coincidental. You know, Jesus wouldn't have chosen these women because they were the most trusted in their day and time. Because women were not entrusted with, with knowledge to be testified about in court or anything like that, like we said earlier. So I think that it's just significant to note that Jesus waited for the guys to leave and then he appeared to the woman and told them to go tell the the men and the other women maybe the group and then later he went on and appeared to them and and let them actually be with him and he ate with them and he showed his resurrection but to me Jesus specifically choosing them is really Jesus specifically choosing them is really important because we see what that, what he valued, what mattered to him, the way he did things, and the way he treated women specifically, I think is very notable. And it teaches us a lot about who we are. Thank you very much for joining me today with this uh, lesson on Jesus and um, how Jesus walked with women. And I hope that it's helped you, encouraged you. I hope you can go back and study some of these things and that it will uh, broaden your picture of who Jesus was and is and um, and how he viewed women um, in his day and time and the messages that are still there for us today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Made for Mutuality podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to continue to follow along and study out the subject, we'd like to invite you to subscribe or follow our show wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find a study guide of this episode on our website, madeformutuality.com. You can also connect with us on social media. All our links are provided in show notes of this episode.